Good. It's really good to be back with you. I just want to bring kind of greetings, really, from the guys down in Southampton. And uh, they send their love to you. And uh, just to let you know, things are going well down there. We're really enjoying the church and the, the growth that we're seeing. We've, uh, we're now regularly getting about 150 on a Sunday, which is, if you think about your prophetic word about doubling and doubling again, that means we're halfway there on the Southampton end, which is good uh, in the last four years. We're just about to celebrate our fourth birthday in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, time's gone quickly, but, uh, but the church feels like a church rather than a church plant, which is great. We're regularly seeing people come to faith in Jesus, which is exciting. Regularly seeing people healed as well, which is equally exciting. Um, and even the office space where we are um, is a bit of a kind of... Uh, centre where people just drop in. I mean, it's a, it's a room that we use for our Alpha courses and, and our prayer meetings and things like that. Um, but we also have the office team based there. But it's in a very needy part of the city and people just wander in often. And, uh, or we invite people to come down and have coffee with us if we meet them on the streets or out and about. And even just last week, I... Um, I've been chatting to a, uh, a lovely lad called Ryan who sells the big issue outside of the Tesco's near our offices. And every time I pop in, I have a little chat with him and I usually buy him a box of dog food as well uh, while I'm in there and just kind of, you know, I'm getting a kind of, you know, newspaper and a, some four pints of milk for the office. And I usually get a, bo- a box of baker's dog food as well. You know, I haven't got a dog, but I just pop it down by his basket on the way out, you know, because I've read the big issue and it's not that great. So I don't always want a big issue, but... Uh, but, but, but uh, he, I said to him the other night, if you want to pop down any time for a coffee, do pop down. And uh, so he came down a couple of weeks ago and uh, chatted to some of our team down there and got some help with the credit union and citizens' advice and things like that. And then uh, the following week, he popped in again to come and see us. And I'm sat down in our coffee lounge with him chatting. And, uh, uh, you know, we were, again, helping him with various different practical things. And I said to him, Ryan, is there anything else I can help you with? And he said, well, unless you can give me a new life. (laughs) And I thought, I know where this conversation is going. So I went and I got some books and some leaflets and things. And we talked through what the gospel meant and what Jesus had done on the cross for him. And uh, after about 15 or 20 minutes of just exploring that, he said, that's exactly what I need to do. He said, I've got it, tried it all my own way and it's not worked. He said, I want to do it God's way. And so we sat on our leather sofa in the coffee lounge and prayed and he came to faith in Jesus, which is wonderful. And that, that same week, one of the, one of the uh, guys who'd become a Christian at our, uh, our event in the park that we put on in the summer called Park Life, uh, one of them is now very much part of our church and uh, we baptised him and he's actually a builder and he's been working on our building putting in a, an accessible toilet and, and a nice kitchen and all that kind of thing but the other day I, I came into work and I noticed him outside and he was like really in absolute agony and I said to him Darvish what's the matter and he says oh he's an in- Indian guy he said no sleep two nights no sleep pain terrible pain I've had terrible pain and I thought where he was holding it it sounded like appendicitis or something like that and it was this persistent pain that kept him awake for over three days and two nights. Uh, and he said, you men, pray, pray. So, so we got him into the office. He came into our kind of leader's office and we stood there and three of us gathered around him and prayed for him. And after about two minutes of praying, I noticed tears rolling down his cheeks. And he said, it's gone. The pain has completely gone. And he couldn't quite believe it. And the fact that God would heal him like that just moved him to tears. 
And uh, so this was just one week in the office. And we're having a great time. Ryan comes in, becomes a Christian. Darvish comes in and he gets healed. And I just think these are little micro pictures of what God's doing on the bigger, on the bigger scale across the city. And uh, so we're having real adventures. We've now, uh, I don't know if I mentioned to you last time I was with you, we were planning to plant again onto the east side of Southampton. And uh, so we've got a team now of about 20 that are gathering there on the eastern part of the city. And then about uh, a month ago, I got uh, uh, an email uh, from somebody saying, we have a building uh, on the east side of the city, in the middle of the estate, just at the foot of the tower blocks. Would you like it? It didn't take me long to say, yes, yes please. And so now we've got a building, free building, uh, in, in the neediest estate in Southampton. And the council have been running a youth group from this building, but of course with the budget cuts, they've withdrawn all the funding for the youth group. So not only have we got a building, but we've got a whole gang of, of, of young people who have never even considered church, who are coming to the building every week. And now we've got, instead of two council youth workers, we've got a team of about 12 or 14 Christian guys who are volunteering to come and serve these young people. And uh, one of them commented on Thursday, I got a text, I was away, I got a, tomic, a, a text from one of the young people who'd said, uh, said to one of our guys, this is so much better than it used to be because the people here actually care about us. And I just thought, what a great testimony, um, the, 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 the team that have gone in there. So, so, so things are growing on the east of Southampton, and uh, things are growing in the centre of Southampton, and uh, we're loving what we're doing. It's a real adventure. So thank you for sending us. Thank you for praying for us and keeping us spurred on. And I, I'm, I'm encouraged, uh, and, and it's great to be able to bring good news to you guys as well. Now, I want to talk about the subject of... Uh, Jesus changing lives. So Ryan came into the office, his life was changed completely. Darvish, the Indian guy, came into a tent and his life was completely changed as well. Um, But I want to look at four little cameos through history of lives that have been changed by Jesus. Um, We're going to travel over a distance of a couple of thousand years, but these will be real people and real events that really took place And it's people whose lives were completely turned around and transformed by an encounter with Jesus. And when I get to the end of what I want to say, what I'm going to ask you is this. Will you let Jesus change your life by an encounter with him? So we're not only looking at the historical accounts, but we're actually going to bring it bang up to date and say, okay, 2011, April, Winchester, Jesus, are you going to change lives even here even today, even in Winchester. I believe it's possible. So let's have a look at life number one that was changed by Jesus. Now I'm going to look in the Bible and I've got the words coming up behind me and I'm going to be reading initially from Luke's Gospel and it's Luke chapter 5. In Luke's Gospel we hear all about the encounters of the life of Jesus and when he met with people and how he transformed and changed their lives. And uh, this is the, inst- the instance that we're going to look at today is when he first called uh, a couple of men who were fishermen to come and follow him and he changed their lives. So here we are, Luke 5, um, and this is going to come up on the screen behind me, hopefully. And let me read to you from verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's, that's Galilee, by the way, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. 
And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And he said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to them, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So here we've got a turning point in these guys' lives. And I love the first two words of this chapter, where uh, Luke just says, One day, Jesus was fishing. Like, lots of stories start with that, don't they? Once upon a time, one day, one day. So here we've got him telling us that this is just one day. Just an ordinary day, much like any other days. Uh, Simon Peter and the other fishermen weren't deliberately setting out to have their lives completely changed. They weren't looking for anything dramatic to happen. It was just one day. And actually it was not a, probably a great day. They just finished a fruitless night's fishing. And then they had this encounter with Jesus. So there was a moment in history... When God had chosen to meet with them. One day. Just one day. Maybe today is that one day for you. A day that God's planned way, way back in deep history to be the one day that he comes and transforms and changes your life. I at least want you to be open to the possibility that today could be that one day. You see, up till now, you may have been like these fishermen, just getting on with the nine to five, enjoying life, just doing your own thing, plugging away, being faithful, keeping busy. But maybe today, you will encounter something more. Something different. Maybe today is your one day. So what happened on this one day? Well, firstly, he asked them to do something that to a fisherman seemed fairly illogical. He told them to let down their nets again. I wonder if you've ever considered how that might have made them feel. All night they'd been fishing. All night and caught nothing. And then... A carpenter turned boat preacher suggests to them a better method of fishing. What do you mean? Let our nets down, go out fishing again. We've just been doing it all night and we've caught nothing. Get back to your workbench. They might have felt a little aggrieved. It wouldn't have seemed the most sensible thing for them to do. And it's interesting because I think when we have an encounter with Jesus, 
I think often he asks us to do something that for us can seem odd or out of the ordinary or even illogical. He often does that. So for these guys, it was going out onto the water again. For me, there have been many, many occasions throughout life, actually, since I became a Christian, when Jesus has asked me to do things that from my own perspective have seemed absolutely mad and absolutely crazy. Actually, even believing in him can seem illogical, can't it? In a world where we would say, actually, no, science and technology has fairly well disproved the existence of God, hasn't it? Surely we have the answers now, whereas these guys didn't have the answers. Surely we know everything now, do we not? So even to believe in him, to admit that there are things in our lives that we've got wrong, and to believe and put our trust in a man that we can't even see and touch, would seem illogical, wouldn't it? I mean, can you imagine yourself, you're driving down the motorway and you pull over onto the hard shoulder and you hear the radio and the radio comes on and it says, get out of the driving seat, move across to the passenger seat. There is an invisible man who is going to continue the journey down the motorway for you. Hmm? You just wouldn't do it, would you? So why is it then we're talking about Jesus? We're saying actually Jesus would like to join and come into your life, actually ask you to move over from the driving seat because potentially you're going in the wrong direction and he would like to get in. Can you see him? No. Can you touch him? No. Is he there? Yes. Even believing in him is an illogical thing in that sense, isn't it? But there's a verse in the Old Testament that gives us a little glimpse of of God in this. And it's in the book of Isaiah 55, verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when God asks us to do something seemingly illogical, because from our perspective it is illogical, we have to come to the understanding that God has ways that are higher than our ways, thoughts that are higher than our thoughts, because he's God. He knows everything. So when he comes to the fisherman and says the illogical thing, take your boats back out again, stick the nets down on the other side, it's not because he wants to make them look foolish or give them another 24 hours work. It's because he knows that he's going to give them and provide miraculously for them an amazing catch of fish, the like of which they've never seen. So much so that they have to bring their friends over and share the load and put it into another boat. And even both boats feel like they're going to sink because there's so much fruit. It seems illogical, but God has ways that are higher than our ways. So on this one day, and on our one day here in Winchester right now, God is able to do things that, to us, would be beyond our thinking. Put the boat out, he said. Put the boat out. Now, if you have an encounter with Jesus today in this building... 
And if you allow him to come in and to change your life, then just for the guys that were fishing, it's not to make you look foolish. It's actually to give you the time of your life. There's a wonderful verse in John's Gospel that says that Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full. That's a big catch of fish. You potentially could walk out of this building today and in your hands and in your possession you could have the most abundant, fruitful life you could ever imagine. The catch of the century. Is that not a good thing? But at the moment maybe it seems an illogical thing to hand over the direction of your life to a God that you can't see or touch. I understand that. But he is real. And his plans for you are good. And actually, at the end of this meeting, I'm even going to invite you to do something that would seem illogical. Okay? I'm going to ask you to believe that Jesus, this same Jesus that we read about by the river here, is God's son. I'm going to ask you to believe that he came to earth as a man, that he lived a perfect life, that he was killed by being nailed to a Roman cross. And I'm going to ask you to believe that as he died on that cross, he was paying a price and he was being punished for something he didn't do. He was actually being punished for your and my rebellion against God. Our wrong thoughts, our wrong actions, our wrong words. He was being punished for us ignoring God, even though he'd done nothing wrong. And not only that, he was being punished in exchange for you, so that you wouldn't be punished for your wrong words and your wrong thoughts and your wrong actions, but actually you'd be set free from that punishment, you'd be released from that punishment, because the price had been paid by Jesus on your behalf. I'm going to ask you to believe that, and not only to believe that, to believe that when he was taken down from the cross and put in a tomb, and a great big one and a half ton rock was rolled in front of it, that actually while he was in there, something miraculous happened, and he came back to life, he burst out of the grave, and he's now risen and ascended and is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. I'm going to ask you to believe that. Does it seem logical? No. But God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he promises that if we believe that, then he will come in and give us the catch of our lives. One day, this happened to Simon Peter. Uneducated fisherman made a response to Jesus. What did he say? He said this, Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You see, when we come to Jesus, we can trust him because it's him that's calling us. Because he says so, we can let down our nets. We can let down the things that would hold us back from God. Why? Because he's good. We can trust him. The fruit that he wants to bear in our lives is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Just as he did for Simon Peter. And actually, at the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to believe that And I'm going to invite you to do something about it by way of a response, just as Simon Peter did. He said, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. What I'm asking you to do is to indicate that you believe this stuff. And all I'm asking you to do, again, it seems illogical, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an indication that actually you want to hear the word of Jesus, 
You want to be obedient to him, you want to let down your nets, and you want to have the life of fullness and abundance that he's promised for you. Seems illogical. Let me press on with some other lives, and then I'll invite you at the end to make a response. Because one encounter with Jesus in the life of Simon utterly transformed him. One encounter with Jesus in your life this morning can transform you. That's what I want you to understand. Jesus changes lives. Let me take you on to the next life. This one I'm going to get from the Bible as well, but the reason I've chosen this one is because it's a step on from the story that we've just looked at with Jesus and the fishermen. Because here we see these fishermen whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. We see them now doing something incredible out of the fact that they've now got this new, abundant, fruitful life. So I'm going to look now, this is now in the life of the early church, actually the very beginnings of the early church, in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 3, and again, the words will come up behind me, so don't panic if you don't have a Bible. By the way, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, I'm sure the guys in the church here would love to give you one at some point. So do, get on the phone to them. Okay, here's another example of a life changed by Jesus. And here we are with Peter, the the man whose life has just been changed, and he's now involved in helping to change somebody else's life. So I'm going to read from Acts 3, and I'm going to read the first ten verses. Interestingly, it begins with the same two words, one day. One day. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him their attention, his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping. And praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognised him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So at this point in history, remember, Jesus had died, he'd risen again, he'd returned to heaven, but he'd left his spirit on earth to continue his work through these disciples, through these apostles. And uh, so I've chosen this particular story because it involved our one-time fisherman, Peter, and, and it gives us a clue as to how his encounter with Jesus by the side of the Ga- Lake of Galilee there, how it transformed his life, actually. Because instead of being a fisherman... He's now actually involved in exactly what Jesus said he would be. Jesus said to him, I'll make you one who catches men, a fisher of men, if you like. And so here he is now doing amazing things, healing the sick and and preaching about Jesus. And he's now demonstrating a real powerhouse of a life uh, instead of just being a fisherman. And I, I just want to comment, don't underestimate how dramatic your life can become when you become a Christian. You know, people, people will hoodwink you and say, oh, you've got to be, when you become a Christian, everything, you know, you've just got to be good, you've got to follow the rules. Got, I tell you, become a Christian, it's the most fun you will ever have. 
Okay, I'm not saying it will be easy, but it will be the most fun you will ever have. Okay, because Jesus' kingdom is a radical kingdom. Can you imagine yourself praying for somebody who's crippled at the uh, uh, gate and seeing them healed? Well, I've had that privilege, and it's an amazing kind of way moment when people's bodies get healed. So Jesus can take what you have right now on this one day and can transform it into something amazing. Peter shows us that. Um, I also chose this particular story, really, because it does transition us from Jesus himself being the one who transforms people's lives to Jesus himself working through others, which actually means it gives us hope, because it means that Jesus can use us. Jesus can use all of us, and he can use you. And even though he's no longer physically present, when we come and we do things in his name, as his representatives, in the name of Jesus, he can still do exactly the same things as he was doing here in these verses from the Bible. So the same things can happen, even today, even on the 2nd of April, even in Winchester, which is exciting. It's exciting. So let's look at this scene. Three times a day the Jews would go up to the temple to pray. This would be 9am, 12 noon and at 3 o'clock. And here we've got the 3 o'clock sitting. So they're going up to the temple to pray and they come across this man who's been disabled from birth. Now this, uh, I've got to understand the context. There'd have been no welfare state, no way of caring for him, uh, no care system. So those with serious debilitating illnesses would have been at the mercy of charity, really. And uh, so they'd often sit, actually, at the entrances to places of worship because they knew that people would come there regularly, or at least three times a day. And they also knew that for the Jew, it was an important thing. Giving alms to the poor, care for the poor, would have earned you some merit in in God's eyes. And uh, so this would have been a good location to pitch. It would be like uh, my friend Ryan moving from the little Tesco's, where he does his big issue. It would be like him moving to the big shopping mall, West Quay. It would be a good pitch because lots and lots and lots of people would come there. Uh, I said to my wife yesterday, uh, once you've seen one shopping centre, you've seen them all. Seen one shopping centre, you've seen them all. Uh, Never mind. Anyway, so it would be like pitching up at at West Quay in Southampton where there are thousands of people coming. You'd have have been guaranteed an income. So that's why this man was pitched there. Um, Now, this isn't like a little stone gate. I want you to imagine this gate. It's a massive, massive gate. About 75 feet high, this gate would have been, with massive, massive wooden double doors. And uh, so this particular man was being carried by his friends, presumably, or family, to uh, this gate just as the apostles arrived. So, so you've got, imagine here, a massive set of gates and massive doors. And then this powerful encounter with Jesus. But the powerful encounter doesn't happen because you've got massive doors and it doesn't come upon the great brass and all the woodwork. It actually comes upon this small man who's quite broken and who's quite helpless. And, you know, this, I, I think illustrations like this teach me something about Jesus. The, you know, Jesus changes the lives of the broken. And if you're broken, Jesus can fix it. In whatever area it is, whether it's the fears and the anxieties that we heard about earlier on, or the depression, or the physical illness... Whether you're just wondering and wandering and and feeling lost, whether you've got relationship breakdowns, whether you've got career problems, Jesus comes upon the broken 
actually. If you think you're really doing great and life is cool and everything's happening well, you probably don't need Jesus. Actually, Jesus, I mean, you do, but you probably don't think you do. But actually, here's a, here's a phrase that Jesus himself used uh, when really he was accused of spending time with people that were, in the eyes of the religious leaders, for, for certain, undesirable. So this is what Jesus said. Well, this, this is the description of, of how he answered them. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here's our man in our story. He's broken, he's an outcast, he's on the edge of the war here, and he's been like that his whole life. And we, we've heard in these verses that he's been like it since birth. In the next chapter we find out that he's now 40 years old. So he's, he's had 40 years. Happy birthday day, 40 today by the way. 40 years, 40 years he's been there. And actually he has this encounter with Jesus. So the gate was impressive, the brass was impressive, the doors were impressive, but there was absolutely nothing impressive about this man that he would attract the attention of Almighty God. Yet Jesus changed his life, utterly transformed him. When we read that account, you can see what happens. Now there are two ways that we can apply this, and we'll do both, really. The first way that we can apply it is there's the physical and the spiritual. Because we can see he was physically healed. I'm going to start with the spiritual application. What this story tells us is if, if you are imperfect, then Jesus can transform you. If you are imperfect and you fall short of God's standards, then he came for you to restore you and to heal you and put you back together again. I'll tell you what, let's raise our hands. Is there anybody in here that is imperfect? Oh, that's good. We've got a full house. So that means the obvious, doesn't it? Jesus came for all of us, for all of us, every single one of us, because we're imperfect. He came to restore us. The trouble is, even though we may admit it here in the safety of these four walls, actually, most people in the UK would say they were pretty sorted, actually. I'm okay, I've got life sorted. Actually, I, I'm, 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 you know, I, I don't need forgiveness, I don't really need God. But actually, the moment we all take a sober look at ourselves, we realise that we fall short of God's standards. We realise we are what the Bible would describe as a sinner, somebody who's gone against God and ignored God. And many of us, many of us need forgiveness. And the moment that we recognise that and we acknowledge that is the moment that Jesus can come in actually and change our lives. You see, if you're not a Christian yet, I do want you to keep listening and I want you to hear what I'm saying to you this morning. Because Jesus wants to, does want to change your life today. He does want to encounter you. You are like that lost sheep that he would come over ravine and mountain to rescue. So I want you to listen carefully. Because maybe today is like that gate called Beautiful. Maybe today Winchester Family Church in the Middlebrook Centre here is that gate where Jesus is going to come. Not upon the great fabric of the building, but upon your life. So Jesus changed lives. 
But he also changed them physically as well. In this instance, we see, I mean, this is a clear description of a physical healing, isn't it? This man was sick and God healed him. And so at the end of today's meeting, what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer to pray for anybody who's physically sick or ill or damaged or broken. Because I believe, actually, God hasn't changed. Has God changed? Don't think so. Has his power changed or diminished? No. So that means today in Winchester we can pray for the sick and because the kingdom is advancing, some of the bodies before us right now that are ailing and painful will be healed at the end of the meeting. So I'm not going to do it during the time because we've got a limited time, but at the end of the meeting, if you're sick, if you've come along this morning because you've got an injury or an illness, or maybe you've just realised, actually, I'm believing God for this today, then I'm going to invite you just to come and take up the first couple of rows of the seats here and we will pray for you and we will trust God for miracles like this. I was um, sharing a message similar to this just a couple of weeks ago over in Salisbury and there was an older chap called Reg there who'd had an accident, fallen down and damaged his shoulder and he'd had physio and he'd had all sorts of treatment on it but he was now two months down the line and it was still as sore and painful as ever. He couldn't really move the upper half of his arm at all and he, so uh, we, we just prayed for him. We all, you know, we, I didn't even get up to him and pray for him. I just prayed from the front. And uh, he came up and told me at the end, he said, oh, this is unbelievable. He said, when you prayed from the front then, he said, I felt a heat go through the whole top half of my body. And he said, look. And he lifted his arm up. And he says, I've not been able to do that for two months. And this guy was absolutely bowled over by God's love for him. And uh, so I want you to believe, if it can happen in Salisbury, it can happen in Winchester, can't it? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll pray for the sick at the end. Definitely. Um, because I want to spend the last ten minutes just looking at two more little cameos of lives that have been transformed by an encounter with Jesus. Because I believed God. Gee, I just, you know, I had a text from a friend of mine this morning that said I, I just really believe God wants to demonstrate His love for the people of Winchester today. This is as I was praying this morning. I got a text. You know, Jesus loves you guys and wants to make a difference in your lives. Look at the difference he made to the guy that was at the beautiful gate. I mean, one minute he was sat there as a cripple with his legs crossed, not able to do anything, begging for money. The next minute it says he was walking. So he's up and he's walking. And everybody's amazed. And, and, and then a verse later it says he was walking and jumping. The next verse, it says he was walking and jumping and praising God. Hallelujah. What a transformation. See, Jesus can do that for every single one of us today. It's good stuff. Let's have a look at another life. Third life changed. This is a chap that you may never have heard of, but I'm going to ask the guys to put his picture up here. This is a man called George Muller. Now, you may never have heard of George Muller, and I'd forgive you if you hadn't. He was a German, born in uh, September... Uh, 1805, and as a young man, George Muller made a whole load of really, really duff and wrong choices. But he was quite a clever guy, he was quite a bright lad, and he did well at school. And uh, because he did well at school, his dad put him forward to train for the Lutheran church ministry. Not because he felt any sense of call, but because you'd get a good life being a minister. You'd get well paid, and you'd 
you'd have a reasonable life. So as a young boy, his, his dad did this and he, he also funded him partially and he gave him some money as well. That He said, uh, uh, George, I want you to invest this wisely. So he wanted to try and teach his son some, some principles of the world. So he gave him some money to handle. And uh, George wasn't that good at doing that because he discovered that he liked spending much more than he liked investing. And uh, so he would just uh, really just squander the money away and then at the end of the month he'd falsify all his accounts and try and, uh, try and convince his dad that he'd invested it well and, and then he'd actually steal money from his own dad to balance the books. So he wasn't doing that well. Let me just move this away a little bit. So, um, he, he, so he wasn't a model son in that respect. And, and actually he grew in his dishonesty because he did get caught once actually stealing from his own dad but then he never, uh, he never really got punished that badly so he kind of got away with it and then instead of you know, kind of conforming and doing the right thing he then decided uh, to, to invent a whole new load of ways to, to, cheat, from his own, to cheat his own dad he just, and his, the scale of his kind of rebellion just got worse and worse and worse so he grew into his teenage years and, and learned clever ways of deceiving his dad. And uh, he also spent, at this age, his money on much more kind of adult pleasures. So he was now out drinking quite heavily. He was also spending lots of his money on gambling. He was reading some pretty racy books for the time as well. And in his diaries, he reports that he was in, involved in what he described as gross immorality, which would have most likely been um, sexual encounters with prostitutes. And, and so this was going on, and he was clearly a hedonist, just living for the moment. But inside was this kind of nagging regret for him, because he could see his own lifestyle in decline. But he knew he didn't have the personal strength to, to overcome it. And uh, actually, he knew he had a heart that was running away in his own pleasures, and he wasn't content with that. And even on the night that his own mum died, George was in the tavern, drinking and playing cards on one occasion his dad had given him some money to do up a house and he spent the whole lot almost in a week of reckless living and with his last bit of money he took a girl to a top hotel and, uh, and, and, and just kind of managed to convince her that he was wealthy enjoyed living the life of Riley for a week till the money ran out and uh, he had to run away from that hotel and uh, so he escaped from there but he, he put on his best clothes and went to another hotel and because he was smartly dressed managed to blag another week at that hotel on credit and uh, so he's in this other hotel again eating and drinking and living the life of Riley realised his money was running out again and, uh, but this time he got caught trying to escape out the window and he got arrested uh, by a soldier and he was ordered to leave all of his posh clothes there as a deposit so that he could at some point pay the money back and he actually got thrown into prison now by this time he was still only 16 guys he was still only 16 okay but he was going pretty much off the rails but you know Jesus changes lives Jesus changes lives Jesus came to George Muller this young wayward rebellious guy and actually as he grew up then as a Christian he moved to Bristol here in England. As well as preaching, he began to care for the poor. And in particular, he built orphanages. And it was estimated that when he died at the age of 90, on March the 10th, 1898, 
he had provided care for about 10,000 orphans. They said that he'd robbed the cruel streets of thousands of victims. He'd robbed the jails of thousands of felons. And he'd robbed the workhouses of thousands of helpless waifs. You see, Jesus had changed his life from a lying, cheating, selfish, independent young man to one who gave and gave and gave and served and served and served and loved with everything he had. And he was... I mean, I've read his, many of his biographies and I could honestly say he's one of the most godly, caring, prayerful, faithful, loving men that I have ever read about. But it wasn't about him. It was because Jesus had changed his life. The reason I've chosen George Muller as my third out of the four stories is because, again, just like Jesus to Peter, Peter to the man at the beautiful gate, George provides a link into my fourth story, which actually is me. His life in the early days wasn't all that different to my life, actually. Before I was a Christian, my life was fairly much hedonistic. I lived for pleasure and and, and fun and frivolity. I only really thought of myself and what I could get out of life. And of course, when you think like that, without reference to other people, you make all the wrong choices, and you take all the wrong risks. Do you know, I was thinking about this just last night. I was thinking, what did I do that was a bit like what George Muller did? Here's one, okay. After I got involved with drugs and drinking and all that kind of thing, I tried to run away, just like George did. And I actually left the country. I moved over to Denmark. And there was a guy in Denmark who ran a a company delivering things across Scandinavia. I would have been about the same age as George Muller, a teenager. And uh, he said to me, um, would you take this 16-tonne lorry around Sweden for me? And I said to him, Kurt, I don't have a driving licence. I've only got a British provisional licence. I've never passed a test. And he said, oh, we'll find a way around that. So we went to the police station. He said, this is what you've got to say. So I said to them, I've lost my driving license, my English driving license. Please, can I have a temporary Danish driving license? So they said, yes, sir, of course. What was your driving license number? So I gave them my driving license number. And they said, and what vehicles are you entitled to drive on that license? And I said, car, motorcycle, heavy goods vehicle. And I listed off, you know, car with a caravan. And they printed me out a lovely Danish driving license. I had one drive of a 16-ton lorry around the farm and the next thing, I was on the boat over to Sweden having a week driving this ridiculously big articulated lorry the like of which I'd never had my hands on before. Anything could have happened. I could have killed somebody. I could have crushed it and caused awful devastation but the consequences... I was just a young lad. I didn't think about the consequences. I was living for the pay packet. He promised me a big bonus if I did it. Just living for the moment. I wasn't that different to George Muller, actually. You know, there came a point in my life when I'd done the drinking, and I'd done the drugs, and I'd done the music, and I'd done the hedonism, and I'd done the gambling, and none of it seemed to kind of 
be leading to any kind of a life, really. But it was when Jesus came to me, actually. Yeah, and Jesus showed me a plan that he got for my life that was way, way beyond anything I could have dreamt of. Took a bit of humility to say, God, I'm sorry, I've got everything wrong. Took a bit of humility to say, God, please forgive me. You know, the minute I did that, the minute I said, God, I have got it totally wrong. I've tried to do it all my own way. Please forgive me. I just know I want you to change my life. You know, at that moment, all heaven broke loose. I was on an underground train somewhere underneath central London. I met with Jesus, utterly transformed. I've never looked back and thought, I wish I'd still got that. I wish I was still doing that. I wish I still had that. Never once regretted saying, yeah, Jesus, I want to follow you. So what about you? Because there's one more story, really. But we haven't got the detail yet. Can we just put up the last slide? One more story. But we don't know the name yet. One more story, but we don't know the outcome yet. We don't know the content of what your life will be. But looking at the examples we've looked at this morning, Peter went from a fisherman to having the most outstanding, powerful life a man could live. The man at the beautiful gate went from being somebody who for 40 years of crippled inactivity was released into dancing and freedom and liberty. George Muller went from a wayward young man to somebody who served the community that he was part of in extraordinary ways. And I can say with my hand on my heart, my life is utterly transformed and far, far more fruitful than I could ever have dreamed of having. So judging on the evidence of the four stories, the end of the story is good. We just don't know who. But I can say there will be a number of you today, God wants to meet with you. God wants to come to you. You've maybe been listening to Christian friends and it's starting to make sense. Maybe that you've been on an Alpha course and you're starting to put the pieces together. And actually... You're now starting to realise that there is a better future for you than anything you'd yet imagined. And maybe that you've just come in this morning, invited, or just wandered in, and you've suddenly realised that there's God who is no longer in a tomb or on a cross, but who is alive and transforming lives, even today, even in Winchester. I'm going to ask us to stand for a moment. I'm just going to ask the musicians to come back quietly. You see, Jesus died on a cross as a demonstration of his devotion to you and his love for you. And he asks, and almost the cross demands some kind of a response. Peter responded by saying, Lord, if you say so, I'll do it. That's a good response. It's not me that's calling you today to be forgiven and set free. Jesus himself is saying to you, come on, you're the lost sheep. You're the lost sheep. 
and I've gone over ravines and mountains to come here to be with you, to know you today. If it happened to me on a tube train, it's much more likely that you're going to find Jesus in the church, isn't it? It's a good, it's a good one day, this one day. It's a good one day. I want you to understand that God's future for you is very good. And I'm going to invite you right now to begin that future. I'm just going to ask everybody just to bow their heads for a moment. Because I want you to be able to have the opportunity to do what Peter did. To actually make a a response to Jesus today. I'm not going to pull you out to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to name you. This is not between you and anybody else at this stage. This is just between you and the same Jesus who called people to abundance who healed those who were crippled, who transformed those who were liars, and who set me free. Same Jesus. I want you to believe in his death on the cross and believe that when he died, it was to pay the price for your sin and your rebellion. But I want you to believe too that when he rose from the dead, that was the promise for you, that you could live forever because he's dealt with your rebellion. And he's buried it at the bottom of the sea and he won't bring it up anymore the moment that you are found in Jesus. So in a moment, I'm going to count down to make it easy so you know when to respond. I'm going to count down from five down to zero. And when I get to zero, if you're going to be like Peter and you're going to say, actually, if you're saying so, Jesus, I'm going to come to know you. Actually, yeah, I'm broken and I need to be set free and healed. If you want to do that, what I'm going to ask you to do, just for a few seconds, is to raise your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to move anywhere. But it's a good time. Everybody will have their heads bowed, so you can you can make this response to Jesus because He's calling you, lost sheep, loved, treasured.